Hello and welcome to the latest episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures, and today we are recording the finale of season three of the podcast. As we hurtle towards the holidays, the end of 2022 and the start of the new year, we thought it'd be good to end the year and this season of the show with a look back at some of the big stories and trends to come out of 2022 and what we're most excited about as we head into 2023. So to help me cast an eye over the year that was, I'm joined by Fintech Futures reporter and fellow What the Fintech podcast host, Alex Pugh. Alex, how are you, sir? I'm good, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's good to do one of these together after spending a lot of time over the year doing these individually. So it's a nice treat, nice Christmas treat. It's a good yeah, a good Christmas present for us both. Yeah, I mean, season three started back in, in February this year with a discussion on open banking with Snoop. Suddenly now, 19 episodes later, it's the end of the year. I don't know about you, but it feels like it's flown by again. It definitely has. I feel like it's been a great season, though. We've had a very good variety of guests, and we have covered a lot of interesting topics. You know, completely agree, completely agree. Yeah, we've had the good, I mean, obviously, regular listeners of the show, we've had the guests that we've had on this year, but like I say, we've had a good mix of banks, fintechs, payment companies. Yeah, it's been really great to, to get their insights as we go over the season. And we will be back, of course, next year with season four kicking off in most likely late January, early February. So keep an eye out for that. So for this episode, regular listeners will know that we usually like to start the show with our news and numbers section. As this is a recap episode, we thought it'd be interesting to take a look back at some of the biggest numbers that we've seen in the world of fintech news this year and the overall trends that have come out of these numbers. So, so Alex, would you like to kick us off with this bit? Yeah, so I think um, one of the uh, most salient numbers of the year has definitely been the number of job cuts in fintech and across the wider tech technosphere. Looking back over the coverage that we've made over the past year, I counted that about 30 fintechs and similar firms have made job cuts since March. And each of them have cited similar reasons for letting go employees, things to do with the war in Ukraine, the tail end of the pandemic, inflation, rising energy costs. And each of them seem to have laid off something that we noticed that they've laid off a similar percentage of employees around 15 to 20%. And it's affecting smaller fintechs all the way up to very large ones like Plaid and Klarna. Yeah, it's um, not been a good time to be working in fintech right now. We've had a lot of interest in the coverage of job cuts, probably because people in, in our industry are concerned about it. Um, but it's definitely a significant thing and definitely a worthwhile entry into our news and numbers. Yeah, I mean, looking back at uh, some of the coverage, so one of the ones that I was looking at recently was the, the Stripe layoffs with, like you say, it was 14% for them, 1,100 employees. And yeah, in an email to Stripe employee CEO Patrick Collison said the firm overhired for the world we're in. So that kind of, like you say, leads into what you were saying about um, it's been a tough macroeconomic climate that we're in at the moment. Um, like you say, with all the various factors that have led into that. And yeah, like you say, there has been more layoffs than you'd like to see over the course of the year. As you mentioned, it's not just fintech this year as well. I mean, it's the whole kind of tech space as well. I mean, we've seen obviously Twitter had a lot of high profile layoffs, Meta as well. So it's just what well, we're in at the moment and how tough the conditions are, I guess. But hopefully we won't have to be talking about this quite so much next year. I guess if we're looking ahead to 2023, it seems as though there's still those 
broader rumblings of recession and whether conditions are going to improve as we go into 2023, whether we're looking beyond that to 2024, 2025, I guess. It's anyone's guess at the moment. I guess in terms of the job cuts and stuff, we have had a couple of stories recently coming out with Starling Bank recently announcing that they're looking to hire or that they're creating a thousand new jobs at their new Manchester base as well. So it doesn't seem like it's all doom and gloom across the whole sector. There is still, I say, opportunities there and jobs being made there. So yeah, I guess as we look into 2023, the hope would be that when we're doing this podcast again at the end of next season, we won't have to be talking about this so much. But um, yeah, like you say, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough conditions all around. As we're going to talk about a bit later, the UK fintech sector is fairly resilient and it's quite dynamic. And I feel like the job cuts are, while bad, they are really just reverting back to their operational size they had before the pandemic. So this is from a story we covered earlier in the month from Played. They cut 260 employees and their CEO, Zach Perrett, says that during the COVID pandemic, there was a dramatic increase in fintech adoption. And as a result, the firm hired aggressively and invested in new products to meet demand. But now all that's over, they're pruning back the numbers to a size that is more perhaps reasonable going forward. So yeah, I'm fairly optimistic. I don't think that even if there is a recession or if we're in a recession potentially already, fintech will be not too hard hit. And perhaps they're just maybe ahead of the curve in a sense, knowing that going forward, this is going to have to be a little bit leaner, but that means that they will be able to weather the storm even better than most other sectors, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a trend that we saw in a few of these job cuts, like you say, that a lot of these companies grew quite big, quite quickly during COVID pandemic. And then as things have shifted into this year, it's um, been a like I said, a different situation in terms of the economic conditions and how they've approached that, I guess. And it leads into the second area that I wanted to look at for this section, which is around funding. So funding been an interesting one for news and numbers this year. We've seen, I'd say, less funding rounds, certainly, than when we initially joined the company. I know when we first joined back in, in 2021, it seemed like the majority of stories that we were doing at the time was in and around huge funding rounds and companies becoming unicorns and all the rest of it. And this year, whilst we have still been seeing a few funding rounds going around, generally the talk has been at reduced valuations and there doesn't seem to be quite as much money flowing around as previous in terms of those huge funding rounds, I guess. So one of the ones I was looking at for this year, quite a big one, was Klarna raising $800 million but saw its valuation cut to $6.7 billion from $45.6 billion the previous year. So quite a big cut from them. The company said at this time its peers were also down 80 to 90% versus their peak valuations as well. And consequently, the adjustment in Klarna's valuation is on par with its public peers. I mean, that's 800 million is a huge funding round as well, right? So it's, there's certainly the money was there. But as we say, it does seem that on the whole, the valuations are certainly down this year. Similar to what we were saying with, I mean, companies were growing so so big so quickly over that COVID pandemic. This year, things have had to shift a little bit and valuations tend to have come down a little bit. So I guess I would anticipate if the economic conditions don't improve this year and moving into 2023, then we may see some more kind of valuation cuts as we go along. We're seeing a lot of companies opting for debt funding as well. So we'll see how that plays out going to the next year as that might be something to keep an eye on if economic conditions don't improve as well. I was going to say, you could spin it and say that valuations have been in the past, perhaps overheated, maybe there is an angle where you could argue that perhaps they've become a bit more sensible, a bit more down to earth. Maybe we'll see more of that going forward. There were had, as you mentioned, when we started, there was a, 
an awful lot of money sloshing around. Perhaps now the valuations might be more measured, perhaps, and that might not be a bad thing. No, I completely agree. I think that's that's it's like a like I said, consolidation, I guess, as we move into 2023. But I mean, yeah, I mean, looking at some of the funding rounds and stuff, we've, just recently we've had Trip Actions raising 304 million in a Series G round and 400 million in credit facilities. Alaka Bank has recently just scored 100 million pounds well in a Series C round for them. So there's still that those big funding rounds are still happening. So I guess as we move into 2023, the hope that, like I said, the industry can continue to grow and the sector can continue to grow and we can still see more of that coming in. One of the stories I know you looked into recently was the fintech growth fund as well coming in the UK. Looking yeah. To that, that two billion funding gap. And you spoke with Axe Ali about that as well, didn't you, for an interview? Yeah, that was, as I mentioned before, it's been a good year for the UK fintech sector, which is already the second largest on the global fintech index. The only trail in the world's largest economy, the US, in terms of the strength of its ecosystem. So, yeah, despite the battering, there is a lot of good things coming through for an already good sector. So this new fintech growth fund, which, as far as I know, hasn't been officially announced. This was a story did maybe in September, August, I think, when they announced uh, it got leaked to the press that perhaps former Chancellor Phil Hammond, spreadsheet Phil, was going to be one of the uh, people on the board. And it's designed to plug a two billion pound funding gap in our fintech sector, which was highlighted in the Khalifa report. And it was actually one of the recommendations to set this up. And it's designed to, speaking with Axe Ali, who was one of the architects of it, it's designed to plug. So generally the fintech ecosystem is very good, but firms often struggle to find funding to scale. And so this is, it's actually a quite focused effort to fix a particular issue. It's raising capital from institutional investors to pump money into UK fintechs beyond the Series B stage and looking to scale. So yeah, that's some good news, definitely. I'm not sure when it's actually going to be launched, but nonetheless, it's some good news. So for part two of the podcast this week, we're going to take a look at some of our favourite stories of the year and some of the trends that have arisen over 2022 that we're excited to track into the new year. So one of the things that I've been excited to see evolve over the year is climate tech and how financial services as an industry has been looking to step up and help tackle climate change. I think on the whole, we've seen more focus from companies on environmentally focused initiatives to say, let's make progress on net zero targets. This year, we've spoken to companies included GoCo Green, who I know you speak to earlier in the year, Alex, which looks to provide firms with actionable insights to improve their ESG processes. I've also seen a number of partnerships as well in the climate tech area to offer new products for customers. One in particular that caught my eye is the partnership between Tandem and Kogo to give its customers the ability to calculate the carbon footprint of their spending. Kogo cites research that conducted that shows more than 80% of UK mobile banking users want to know how to improve the environmental impact of their spending decisions. So 
despite these good intentions, many customers need help identifying where they can make the biggest differences. And that's what the tie between CoGrail Tandem looks to do. So having access to that relevant data will allow customers to start making incremental changes that will help to save the planet. So um, on the kind of environmental front as well, we've seen Tread launching a new carbon tracking platform. Um, other sustainability stories we've seen as pay a new sustainability focus Paytech intends to plant a tree for every transaction the firm processes which is gearing up for launch in the uk and the eu soon and we've seen hsbc investing a hundred million dollars in green technology accelerator breakthrough energy catalyst um so there's certainly plenty of activity in the space and coming off the back of cop 27 i'd hope to see some more going forward i think there's still work to be done in terms of holding financial institutions accountable for the investments in fossil fuel companies that they're making um, i think there's work to be done in terms of reporting as well for sure but i'm excited to see more of the partnerships and announcements that we've seen mentioned previously and if you're interested as well in keeping on top of developments in the esg space i definitely recommend our columnists again hyde and dave wallace who do some great articles on the topic i went earlier this season on the podcast as well i spoke to dave about this topic so i encourage you to check that out but yeah, I mean, Alex, I guess I'll pass this over to you. What are your favorite stories of the year and, and topics that you've seen this year? For me, central bank digital currencies have, I think, this year become a big focus for governments and central banks across the world, actually. There's been a lot of coverage on fintech futures of initiatives set out by countries from the United States to Australia to across the Eurozone, the UK, which are really looking to explore proof concepts, tests, interoperability of these CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, which have a lot of potential, I think. They could really boost financial inclusion. They would seriously reduce crime and fraud. They would cut costs. They would be more efficient. There are a lot of concerns around them. There's, there's some connection with the whole idea of access to cash, which again is related but separate, particularly in the UK with bank branches and cash machines closing. And actually, I think there was a story that the UK government wanted to ensure that people had access to cash because obviously cash is private. But CBDCs are interesting developments. So we, in November, we covered a story, uh, US banking sector was working with the Federal Reserve Bank of New York to launch a proof of concept for a regulated digital asset settlement platform. So you had big players, BNY Mellon, City, Wells Fargo, and a bunch of others as well, looking to explore a digital money platform powered by distributed ledger technology. In Spain, you had a number of heavyweights forming a working group to assess how to implement a digital euro by the ECB, the European Central Bank. Even in Australia, they're working with public-private sector uh, organizations to explore the use cases for a CBDC. And in June, I attended a talk at Mali 2020 on the UK's first digital sterling pilot. So it's called Project New Era. It was set to launch in September, and it's a pilot evaluating the future digital currency ecosystem. And it's focusing on a retail CBDC. And it's an interesting initiative because it combines public-private sectors. So, yeah, CBDCs, I think, despite some sort of conspiracy theory-leaning misgivings about it and the drive towards a cashless society, will do an enormous amount of good. And, yeah, financial inclusion is something that's close to my heart. So the idea that we can get more people into financial services is a good thing. But there's a whole sort of other... Sort of 
myriad of tangential elements. How do we ensure that digital identification works and that kind of thing? How do we make sure that some transactions are private and some aren't? And what level of scrutiny does the government or central bank have to into our transaction history? That kind of thing needs to be worked out. But there's definitely a lot of interest across the world from big institutions in financial services and from government into this whole thing, which I think is quite fascinating. Yeah, I guess with other trends and stuff that we've seen over this year, I mean, we've seen embedded finance has been a big one for this year. The ability for firms to essentially plug in financial services via APIs and start offering those services to customers is a bit of a game changer in the space and it's enabling tech firms to essentially become financial firms as well. So I think we might see some more activity in that space as we go forward and potentially more super apps as well popping up as a result. Um, One of the great things I think over this year has been the collaboration that we've seen across the space, I think, between banks and fintechs. I think when we first started, conversations seemed to be around kind of competition versus collaboration between incumbent banks and fintechs. But it seems that collaboration has won out and that's now becoming key to survival. So, I mean, some of our stories that we've seen this year, one that caught my eye particularly was Bank of America launching a new online payment solution named Pay by Bank in partnership with a UK pay tech called Banked. And there's been a whole host of these combinations and stuff as like I say, there's so much happening in terms of digital transformation across the space at the moment that these partnerships now have, like I say, becoming essentially a must have, I guess now, as opposed to a nice to have to keep on track of these new developments and then keep on top of yeah, all the tech developments to make sure that all the customers are being satisfied as we go forward. For banks to remain agile as well, composable banking, I think is an interesting theme that's caught my eye this year. I think it's going to be more prevalent as we go forward as well. At the Cybos this year, I spoke with Hans Tesla, Executive Director at Buyan, to discuss the group's course banking framework and the growing benefits of composability in financial services. The firm has been working with a number of big banking players to essentially remove the core from banking and create a more building block structure to allow banks to more easily swap out and plug in new services. And again, this interview is available on our website website as well and our columnist Damesh Mystery has written up a number of informative articles on this topic which if you're interested in I'd very much recommend checking out. Elsewhere we're seeing movement with passwordless technologies as well companies such as OneSpan and Dayon helping to streamline onboarding for banks and of course AI is still playing a major role and particularly in areas such as data reconciliation where smart streams doing some great work. I think going into 2023, conversational AI and chatbots are something that are taking some huge strides forward. And generative AI, I think, is a big one as well now. I think we've all seen all the kind of fanfare around chat GPT recently, which is really highlighting the possibilities of what generative AI can do and how this can be applied to banking going forward, I think, would be a really interesting topic for this year. And yeah, I mean, in the payment space as well, digital payments now effectively the de facto standard worldwide. Real-time payments have come to the fore this year. I think I've seen great uptake. So I'd expect that to continue into the new year. And as we've mentioned, CBDCs and, and it's another great area. It's really interesting going forward as well. So yeah, I think 2023 is looking exciting from that front. Absolutely. I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't mention the M word at some point in, if we're looking back over 2022, metaverse. It's definitely one of those buzzwords that I saw an interesting poll the other day that I think a third of Brits don't know what it is, a third know what it is and don't care. I don't want to get involved and the other third are probably trying to take their money out of a crypto exchange or something before it collapses. Yeah, Metaverse, there were a lot of interesting talks and features coming from Fintech Futures that we covered this year on the Metaverse. Since Facebook rebranded to Meta, it's pretty much, it's probably one of the words of the year, no doubt, but it's hard to pin down. Nonetheless, it's 
does promise a lot of opportunities for financial services and financial institutions. We put out a great feature where I spoke to Glenn Friedman and Jerry Eitel. He was C1, Friedman's the CEO. And Eitel is, this is a new title, Chief Metaverse Officer of New York-based accounting and advisory firm, Prager Matus. And they gave a lot of practical down-to-earth information about how financial institutions can get stuck in and involved. They actually were the first accounting firm to buy a plot of land in the metaverse. But then I think also the excitement and interest in it has been tempered to a certain extent by a lot of other thought leaders and individuals. Uh, There was a great talk at Cybos this year, Spotlight on Digital Value, Conquering the Metaverse, where Michael Abbott, Accenture Banking's global lead set out banks and financial institutions need to do to actually make working and transacting and thriving in the metaverse work. He had this lovely five-point alliterative argument, purpose, place, population, property, and portability, which gave insight into the firm's motivations for encouraging banks to get stuck into virtual worlds. So yeah, metaverse is fairly nascent, but there's a lot of excitement around it. Perhaps maybe next year on the hype cycle, it might start to fall away a bit. But I think one of the interesting things in that talk that I just mentioned by Michael Abbott was that we're at the stage with the technology where it's almost like before smartphones. And until someone makes the iPhone for virtual reality, the goggles and all the rest of it, it's probably going to have a lot of friction to get involved. But I think over the coming years, it will happen. It's not my thing. I don't necessarily want to have ads like shot straight into my eyeballs all the time. But there is, I think, a lot of opportunity there. People will be spending a lot more time in these virtual worlds. And fintechs, paytechs, financial institutions, banks, they're all going to need to be there because when people are working, playing, living in these worlds, they're going to need to be able to buy things. They're going to be able to store things. They're going to be able to need to be able to keep their money somewhere safe, that kind of thing. So there's a whole lot of things in that whole space that have yet to be determined, but yeah, it's an exciting thing. And um, yeah, it's been great covering it. Regular listeners will know that usually we finish off our episodes with a segment called the Fintech Jail, which is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword or trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of and cast it away into our very own financial Alcatraz. But as this is the final episode of the season three, we thought in the spirit of the season, as we're fast approaching the end of the year now, we're going to have a holiday amnesty and myself and Alex are going to free one word each from the jail that we hope has been rehabilitated. So Alex, which word or phrase do you want to hand your get out of jail free card to? So my fintech turkey this year that I am granting amnesty is crypto. It is in some ways, given the events of this year, probably deserving to be in jail. Crypto is one of those things where it's a very, very broad term. So it can mean all kinds of different things and people get into it either to get rich or they believe in the ideology of it. And I think that's probably my reasoning why it should be liberated is because despite the problems with exchanges grappling with a lack of liquidity and people pulling their money out, I think fundamentally 
blockchain and decentralized currencies are a good thing. And talking to a lot of people who know a lot more about this than I do, they believe that what's going on now is probably a good thing in the long term because regulation will come in and it will be rehabilitated into the sort of wider financial services ecosystem. Crypto would be my vote, probably an unpopular choice, but I think, yeah, worthy of amnesty. I'd agree with that as well. I think it's had a bruising year more so than, I guess, a couple of years beforehand. It was everything was going well. But uh, yeah, been a bit of a, a tough one for crypto this year. But like you say, usually what happens when there's these um, winter periods and with some of the calamities that we've seen recently, like you say, it does lead to a sort of consolidation where you get a kind of new dawn, I guess, as you move into the new year. So I think it would be too soon to, like you say, assume that crypto is dead already and right next to it, yeah, write it off. It's uh... Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like a lot of people have lost a lot of money and there's a lot of scam artists out there, but that's why people need protections. So yeah, I think there'll be some sort of middle ground that will evolve out of this and it's ultimately a good thing. Yeah, I think for me, the word or term that I'm going to be breaking out of the jail this year will be open banking. It was dropped in way back in season one, episode 15, which was in November 2020. So it's been a good two years now. And it just feels like it's been forgotten in there because I think open banking and open finance in general has made some great strides since then, particularly in the UK. I know from speaking to a number of US institutions over this year as well, that progress is being made over there as well. Um, I don't feel like it's a word or term that I'm seeing used outside of press releases and the like that aren't specifically focused on open banking. So it's not like it's reaching a buzzword level at this point for me. So I mean, looking at some of the stats in the UK has has over 6 million users and nearly 10% of all individuals with a bank account benefiting from these services. According to the Open Banking Implementation Entity, we've got the Open Banking Strategic Working Groups. It's set to submit its report to the Joint Regulatory Oversight Committee, which will inform its final recommendations for the future of open banking to be outlined in January. So so in terms of some of the recent coverage that we're doing we've around open banking, we've got NatWest's payment solution Payit being utilised for A2A payments. The Saudi Central Bank debuting a new open banking framework to help boost the sector there. Nationwide partnering with Money Hub as well for, for open banking payment tech. So there's a lot of positive movement in the space. And I think really, as we say, going forward, it looks like there's a lot more that can be done. It looks like it's an area where there's a lot of innovation happening. So yeah, I think two years in the jail now, it's time to to let it out. I think we can consider it rehabilitated at this point. I 100% agree. I think as a consumer, open banking has been great. I'm surprised that more countries don't do it. I mean, my understanding is essentially open banking allows you to share your, your financial information with other companies like gives you more control over what you want to do and in a way it's creating a very viable environment for fintechs and innovation in that space so yeah open banking is a great thing i was surprised that it was even in there in the first place to be honest but maybe it was some sort of um, controversial take at the time i'm sure well that's all we have time for this episode thanks of course to alex for joining me for this end of season episode and take a look back at 2022 as we approach the new year alex i mean looking into the 2023 are you feeling positive just generally yeah i am i think 2022 has been a difficult year in some respects the need for financial services has never been greater particularly for people that are trying to maximize what little money they have and i think going forward it will be resilient and it will continue to thrive and be dynamic yeah it i think 2022 has been a bit of a kind of post-pandemic year and i'm hoping that 2023 is more of a fresh start so yeah i'm optimistic 
I fully concur with those uh, those thoughts as well. Season four of the podcast will, of course, be returning in the new year, and we're currently scheduling some more guests in for late January, early February, so keep an eye out for those. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures, and, of course, on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can, of course, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. As always, thank you so much for your support. Wishing all of our listeners a very happy holidays and new year. And I hope you all enjoy a well-earned break. We'll see you for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye.